Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Uh, Today, I'm very happy to have with me Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes & Associates. Um, Curtis is going to address the boat buying process after a pretty um, popular thread in our forum this week that covered some aspects of that and how to go about it. Um, We're going to have Curtis kind of give us the expert opinion on that. Before we do start that conversation, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. And of course, one of those is Curtis Stokes & Associates. We'd also like to thank our other Admiral sponsors, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Curtis, thanks for joining us today pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Um, So we're going to walk through the boat buying process, and I know a lot of our listeners and our members are already familiar with you, but for those who aren't, let's just start from the beginning. Tell us about your experience in the boat buying process. How long have you been doing this, and um, how much do you know about both sides of the process from the buyer and seller perspective? Uh, Well, uh, let's see. As how long I've been doing it. I started my company in 2009 after being with an old line firm in Fort Lauderdale, based in Fort Lauderdale, doing international sales uh, for six six or seven years. And then I was sales manager at Hatteras Yachts at the factory, uh, running dealerships. And uh, then prior to that, I was a yacht captain, Uh, went around the world two and a half times and uh, quite a bit of time up and down the East Coast and West Coast of the U.S., uh, but uh, as far as brokerage, uh, we do represent buyers and sellers, and uh, we represent them all over the world, but we specialize in the Great Loop. So, you know, we've been doing it for quite a while, and we see it on both sides, that's for sure. Right. So the boat buying process is pretty lengthy, and, and part of that, of course, starts with the shopping for a boat. That would be a lot to cover in this format we have today. So we're going to start, particularly since this is what the thread covered, we're going to start from assuming that a buyer has found a boat that they'd like to purchase. Um, So the first step, I assume, in that would be um, the offer. So tell us a little bit about how making the offer actually works. If a buyer's working with a broker, more than likely that broker's a member of some organization, either the Yacht Brokers Association of America, which uh, is YBAA, or something like the Florida Yacht Brokers Association or the California Yacht Brokers Association. There are a number of them around. And they're just like real estate associations uh, where the realtors have had attorneys draft Uh, contracts, standard contracts, standard listing agreements, and these have been vetted over and over and over and litigated and everything in between. And so uh, this is the vast majority of of the process. Uh, If you're working on your own, I mean, it's anything from a handshake to a napkin to hiring a maritime attorney to draft the contract. Uh, so, you know, there are a number of different contracts out there, but they're very, very similar when they're uh, through a broker. Okay. So, um, and the broker will help you determine what that offer price should be? 
The broker should be doing that. Uh, the broker should be supplying sold comparables, uh, and this is an issue uh, that I have a problem with uh, that I don't feel our industry is transparent or as transparent as it should be. Uh, we have access to sold data in Yacht Closer and Yacht World. Uh, these are systems that most people are probably familiar with, or at least Yacht World, and brokers report sales, but it's only accessible by paying member brokers. And not all brokers are a member of Yacht World or Yacht Closer, so they don't have access to this information. Uh, so I would like to see it more open and available to the public, just like in real estate, you can do a little bit more due diligence on your own. But that's what the broker's here for. Uh, then there are the valuation books, which I so vehemently oppose. Uh, Buck Book, NADA Guide, Powerboat Guide, they're wildly inaccurate. Uh, I feel they're selling misinformation. They're using a, a set formula of depreciation, uh, the, the, you know, an algorithm. They tell you that they're using uh, the sold comparables, but they're not members of Yacht World, so where are they getting that information? No one's reporting to them. So uh, you really need sold comparables just like you do in real estate to determine what a boat is worth. And uh, that, that information is accessed by brokers. But any good broker will be happy to supply that information to any potential buyer and seller. Okay. So tell us what happens next. I know that one of the big uh, things that kind of grew legs in the forum thread was when a sea trial should occur or when a buyer would want that to happen versus when a seller might want that to happen. So can you kind of address uh, you know, the order of this process? Sure. Well, first of all, there are no laws or rules in the industry how a, a, a transaction uh, transpires. Uh, there is a process that has evolved over the years just from experience by both buyer, sellers, and brokers. Uh, so typically, a buyer makes an offer on a standard contractual form contingent upon a, a survey and trial run completely satisfactory to the buyer. And we negotiate the terms and the, uh, and the uh, price uh, between the two parties, come to a meeting of the minds, and then we schedule. Uh, first, we get a 10% deposit in our escrow account. We hold that as the broker, as the escrow agent, uh, and that is held for the buyer's interest until they accept the boat. Once they accept the boat uh, in a formal acceptance, then they can't back out and get their deposit back. But any time prior to accepting the boat, they can uh, reject the boat for any reason whatsoever. The contracts favor the buyers typically, although you do have to read the fine print. In my seminars that I do for you at the AGLCA, I point out that there are some brokers that have changed the language of the standard uh, purchase and sale agreement, and it's hard to see that until you really read the fine print. So read the contract, whatever you do. Don't assume it's a standard agreement that protects the buyer. So we have the 10% deposit in our escrow account, and then we assist the buyer in finding a surveyor. No broker or seller should be recommending a surveyor. Uh, we should just be providing information, contact information, and letting the buyer interview the surveyors and make their own choices. We always provide a link to the Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors website so that the buyer can search for their own options also. Uh, but it has to be between the buyer and the surveyor, not the broker selecting the surveyor for the buyer. Very, very important. I never recommend buying a survey from a seller. 
Um, you know, the surveys I've seen people try to buy are six months old. Well, a lot can happen to a boat in six months. A lot can happen in one day. And we don't know whether that surveyor was a friendly surveyor or um, <clears throat> just doing an insurance survey where it wasn't a full pre-purchase survey that has all the detail that's necessary. So hire a surveyor, do your own due diligence, and as part of that survey, you get a, a trial run, a sea trial. Now, I know a lot of people were on the forum saying, you know, well, I want to do the trial run, and I don't want to put a deposit in an escrow account. That's fine. If that's what both buyer and seller agree to, then that's the way the transaction should transpire. Um, we are just the facilitator. We're not the ruler. Uh, we give our advice from our experience in how the process works, uh, but it's really up to the buyer and seller how they're going to do this. I mean, we're negotiating a sale right now where the sellers agreed to do a trial run prior to uh, even a, a, a contract being in place. That's up to the buyer and seller. So it does happen from time to time, but the typical process is as I described it, and there's a good reason for that. If a buyer puts a boat under contract, surveys the boat, and does not pay a surveyor or does not pay the boat yard for the haul out, those individuals or companies can put a lien on the seller's boat when the buyer rejects the boat. So there's a reason the deposit is there. It's to protect the owner should the buyer uh, not follow through with payment to anybody involved in their due diligence. And that really is important for a seller to have that peace of mind that, you know, they're not going to get stuck having to pay a surveyor or uh, a boat yard or something like that. Um, and, it, and it shows good faith, too. I mean, you know, it, I, I understand buyers and, and their frustration, especially on the forum where they were saying, well, you know, I'm a real buyer. I've bought uh, a lot of boats. I understand that. But the seller may never have met you before. The broker may never have met you before. And I can assure you over the years that I have witnessed buyers that really weren't truly serious and were just looking for something to do on a weekend or seeing what they could get away with. I mean, we have all kinds in the world. Look at Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, we're, we're full of <laughs> interesting characters that, you know, come into our lives. And, um, and we do have issues with uh, buyers that present themselves to be someone they're not. Uh, we've even had sellers present, you know, uh, facts that weren't really facts. Uh, so it, everybody in the transaction has to be transparent, has to be honest, or it's a bad transaction. Um, and, and that's why the process has evolved the way it has to protect all the parties. You know, that contract states a number of different things that protect the buyer and the seller. Uh, and we see often where disagreements happen is where it's a handshake deal or the buyer and the seller have decided to do something, but it wasn't as thorough as it should have been, and it becomes a misunderstanding. And if there's a misunderstanding and everyone can refer back to a written agreement that spells out in detail how everything's going to happen, I guarantee you any lawyer listening or, or practicing will tell you that's the way it should happen. You, you need that. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times it's good intentions, you know, lead to misunderstandings. So uh, that, that's why the process has become the way it is. Uh, but I understand the frustration from both sides. You know, it, you have to picture also the brokers in the middle of the transaction. So let's say uh, very typically we will get a call from a seller to list a boat for sale. And whether it's in Florida, Wisconsin, Seattle, it doesn't matter. We go to the boat and the seller lives somewhere else. 
they finished the Great Loop, let's say, and they've parked the boat in Demopolis, Alabama. So we'll go to Demopolis, and we go to list the boat. And sometimes I've been on a boat that uh, the seller says is ready to list, and there are no records, no maintenance uh, manuals, or no maintenance records, no service manuals, anything. Uh, the boat is full of personal belongings so that we can't take photographs. The boat hasn't been washed in years. Um, and that, that happens. And then other boats are meticulous. The owners are, are just uh, very attentive uh, to their boat, and it goes very smoothly. Um, so the owner lives, let's say, in Chicago, and the boat is in Demopolis. And we get maybe 10 inquiries on that boat. It's unrealistic to expect the owner to fly in for every single potential buyer and run the boat on a, a pre-sea trial uh, and be there in person. And if they're not there, they have to hire a captain. And that's 350 to $450 a day for them to do that. So there's quite a bit of expense there. Now, I know some people say, well, as a buyer, I'm willing to pay that. Well, if the seller and you agree to that, that's fine with us. Uh, most brokers do not run boats anymore. Uh, you know, unfortunately, in today's world uh, or in today's country, um, we're very litigious. And so uh, it just people will come back on the broker if something happens that's not even their fault. Um, you know, we, we've seen at boat shows uh, a couple of years ago, a woman stepped off a boat uh, that we had on display and purposely hit her head in the overhead and it was all staged and her husband's a lawyer and he threatened to sue the owner of the boat, the boat show, us and everyone else. And it was all, you know, fabricated and it went away eventually, but it could have very well cost everybody a lot of money, including the insurance company. And so the insurance, uh, the uh, yacht brokers are seeing more and more liability issues. We just can't run boats anymore. Uh, we, we have to have the owner run the boat or a captain run the boat and we stay involved as the broker, keeping the deal together for everyone. So mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of reasons why all this process has come to be, and, and buyers see it from their angle, sellers see it from their angle, and brokers see it from their angle. And a good transaction is where everybody works together and just tries to make it as positive for everybody involved as they can. So, Curtis, just to kind of sum that part up, um, there are protections in the contract for both sides. What are just a few key things that both the buyer and the seller should look for to be in the contract so that they are fully protected? First and foremost for the buyer is uh, a contingency for a survey and trial run uh, that is satisfactory to them. For any reason whatsoever, they should be uh, able to reject the boat. Um, default uh, paragraphs are important. If the seller defaults, if the buyer defaults, what's going to happen? Spell it out so that everybody understands up front what's really going on. Another important issue that's often overlooked is a seller's personal guarantee of title. Um, this is something that's fairly new in the last couple of years, especially where boats are owned in an LLC or a foreign corporation or you know some offshore corporation. Because remember, when you close on a boat and the seller closes that corporation or LLC, if there's not a seller's personal, you know, a, a beneficial owner's guarantee of title, there's no one to go after if there's a problem with the title. So that's a very important aspect of the contract uh, that's not going to be in a handshake agreement. Uh, but those are just some of, some of the highlights in the language of the contract. There are things like uh, delivery date and delivery location, uh, so there's no misunderstanding there. 
Um, and, and all this comes together to, to make it a smooth transaction when it's agreed upon up front and not, oh, my gosh, you know, we didn't discuss this. I want this or I want that. Okay. We're going to take a quick break to play a message from one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, I'd like to talk, Curtis, a little bit about um, what to expect that day of the survey and the C trial. So we will sure. be back in just a moment. What makes Pantaneous America's yacht insurance special? Pantaneous America provides coverage and flexibility without any hidden or implied warranties. Licensed in all 50 states, Pantaneous America offers unparalleled service to our international network of offices. Pantaneous America allows for extremely liberal navigational limits. Pantaneous America's experienced worldwide claim staff is there for you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. With no deductible for fire, lightning, and total loss claims, Pantaneous America is always by your side. Call or visit us today and ask about our special offers for Great Loop Cruisers, 914-381-2066. Pantaneous America is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guest today is Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes & Associates, and we are talking about the boat buying process. Um, so, Curtis, if we've kind of walked through this so far, there's an offer, there's a, an accepted offer, essentially, with a contract in place with the necessary contingencies. So as that process moves to the day of the survey and the sea trial, what can a buyer expect to happen at that point? Sure. And then there's a deposit in the escrow account. Uh, so it's time for the survey. First, we always recommend hiring a whole surveyor and an engine surveyor. Uh, I know it doubles the cost for a buyer, but there's a lot of money in that engine room that the whole surveyor may or may not be familiar with uh, as much as a good mechanic who's a surveyor. Um, very important to have an engine surveyor at the same time. So you've hired both surveyors. You're there. The typical survey starts about anywhere from 8 to 9 in the morning, typically. We have some surveyors that start much earlier and some that you know start later. They're on board uh, for a couple of hours uh, going through the engine room, and, and they don't want engines having been run or generators being run uh, prior to arriving there. They want to see a cold start. They want to be able to climb over the equipment and not burn themselves to get model numbers and serial numbers and things like that. Uh, they don't want to see fluids having just been changed. Uh, they you know, want some hours on the oil and, and uh, be able to take a good oil sample. Uh, but we do that for a couple of hours, let them do their thing, and then we move to the haul-out facility, the boat yard, and we haul the boat out for about an hour. Uh, the buyer typically pays for the haul-out. It usually runs anywhere from 7 to $10 a foot, uh, depending on the region. And we're out for about an hour where the whole surveyor goes around the boat looking for any uh, abnormal abnormalities. Uh, so he's looking for blisters, he's looking for uh, any problems with the running gear, the props, the shafts, the struts, the cutlass bearings, just looking at the overall condition of the boat that you can't see when it's in the water. We'll then launch the boat, and that's when we typically do the trial run. And I say trial run because if you're on a river, you're not at sea, so calling it a sea trial is not correct. And there was a lawsuit involved with that uh, wording uh, a number of years ago. So you'll hear most brokers use trial run. But that's where uh, the surveyor, especially the hull surveyor, um, wants to see the boat run through its paces, you know, checking steering gear and, and all of that. And then the uh, engine surveyor wants to see the engines run up to wide open throttle at full RPM. Quite often, 
they do not reach full RPM for whatever reason. It can be very simple or it can be a telltale sign that there's a problem. Um, usually they want to take everything in, in totality in making a decision as to how serious something is. So they're looking at back pressures. They're looking at, uh, you know, when they start up and uh, looking at the exhaust to see if there's any fuel in it, any smoke, what color the smoke is, uh, a, a whole vast array of, of uh, issues that they're looking for. We're out for about an hour or so, and then we come back to the dock, and then they finish the survey, um, and then they sit down with the buyer and explain everything verbally, what they found good and bad about the boat. Then probably usually two to three days later, uh, sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's that same day, uh, would the buyer will receive a written report by email that will be very detailed and give a valuation on the boat and give all the details of the boat, but will give findings and recommendations. And that's what everybody's concerned about. That's what your insurance company, your insurance underwriter, uh, your lending underwriter really want to see what's wrong with the boat and what's priority. Priority items are safety items, structural items, operational items, and then you're going to have recommendations. Most surveyors will say, when you own the boat, you should do this. Uh, and a lot of those are maintenance items. And sometimes uh, inexperienced buyers will see that and say, well, I want the seller to fix all of this. And we usually have to point out that, well, these are not priority items. These are maintenance issues that are ongoing. So replacing the impeller or uh, changing the oil is not really something that you should be asking the seller to do. It's something that you should do at when you own the boat. And I always encourage my clients to do it regardless uh, when they're first starting out, especially on the loop, so that they've changed the oil, they've changed the impeller, they've changed the filters, uh, or had someone they've hired do it, and they're starting fresh. Um, so that's when the buyer gets all their due diligence together and makes a decision as to whether they're going to buy the boat, buying it as an acceptance of vessel, rejecting it, obviously a rejection of vessel, or you have a conditional acceptance. You accept the boat conditional upon the seller fixing something or giving you money off to fix it. And that way uh, you are in negotiation with the seller on those survey items. Uh, some people can live with these items and fix things themselves, and others just see it as a hole in the a water that you know they're just not willing to take on. And so the seller's faced with the decision of having to fix things uh, to keep the deal together or let it go and find someone else. How, how common is it, Curtis, in your experience, for the, the survey to turn up unexpected issues? <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of people laughing right now. It's very common. Um, you know, I, I often have sellers who uh, insist that their boat is perfect, um, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and I sure hope that's the case, uh, but it's usually not. Um, we have surprises on surveys all the time, uh, because until you get into the survey, you really don't know, uh, you know, what internally is going on in the engine unless you've had a pre-purchase or pre-survey uh, by the seller or um, just recently purchased the boat. Um, but, you know, we'll get out there and, and believe me, things happen on survey. Lights don't work that work the day before, you know, or the, uh, the freshwater pump stops working because that's just the way of life. You know, it just happens. Um, but these things can be fixed uh, and, and are often done quickly and, and we hold a deal together. But there are always surprises on survey for everyone involved. Well, and I know every deal is different, but is there, um, you know, is it, 
how, how typical is it for those issues to be able to be resolved versus a flat-out rejection of the boat? Well, we often get rejections because buyers don't want to wait for the seller to address uh, issues or uh, they don't want to take the time to address them themselves. And understandably, they just want to get on the boat and go. And the seller you know, just either has ignored issues or wasn't aware of them and needs time to address them. And the problem is, you know, the economy's picked up and a lot of marine contractors are very busy now, so getting their attention quickly is very difficult. Uh, so uh, the timing comes into play. Uh, but uh, oftentimes, in reality, the work can be done if everyone's patient and works together in good faith. Um, and they're usually uh, pretty minor. So, uh, but if there's a red flag in the surveyor saying this is a major issue and it's going to be a engine rebuild or tank replacement or something like that, then you know that's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And once a boat has been accepted, how long does it typically take before the new owner can take possession? Well, we can do a closing very quickly, but it typically we give it about two weeks. Um, uh, some people are rushed and want to hurry. Uh, others, you know, just want to extend it out for whatever reason. Maybe they're transferring funds from an investment account into an operating account and need that time to do that. Uh, or, you know, we need time for the seller to address issues. But uh, typically, a buyer will hire a documentation firm. And this is another issue of the closing pro- or the, the purchase process. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you were going to ask me that, you know, here eventually. But uh, after you've accepted the boat as a buyer, it's time to hire a documentation firm. Now, a lot of buyers don't want to spend the money. It can run anywhere from two to six hundred dollars for a documentation firm to uh, handle the closing as the, you know, uh, the, the documentation firm, like a title company in real estate. Uh, but what they do is they do a title search uh, similar to real estate. It's called an abstract of title. They want to make sure you're getting a clear title. Uh, they create the bills of sale. They create the uh, uh, seller's personal guarantee of title. And they get the seller to sign all these documents and have them notarized. The seller sends them back to the documentation company. And the documentation company acts as an escrow agent for those documents so that a buyer's not paying a seller and then hoping the seller's going to deliver the documents to them and the seller's not giving the documents and hoping the buyer is going to pay them. So, you know, it's a delicate process if you think about it because once a buyer has a bill of sale, they have something that shows they own the boat. And the seller, once he has his money, if he hasn't signed something, you know, maybe they don't want to sign it for some reason. So all this has to happen uh, with transparency and the right people involved to protect both parties uh, so it doesn't go astray. We're almost out of time. Any other um, tips or you know anything we've left out that you think it's important for listeners to know about the boat buying process? I think to sum it up that you know if you are an individual that has bought multiple boats and multiple houses, I understand. Great. You know, do your own due diligence. Do it your way. Uh, You may not need the services of a broker or surveyor or a documentation company if you feel that way. But there are a lot of people who have joined the AGLCA who have never owned a boat before or have only owned a small boat. And, you know, no one should knock them for wanting to, to understand the process and do their due diligence on something they've never been involved in. And for those people, I would recommend 
spending the money to, to hire the right people, hire a buyer broker that's going to represent your interest, not going directly to the listing broker in every case to get a better deal, supposedly. Uh, you know, hire the right surveyors. Do your due diligence on which surveyors to, to hire and hire a documentation firm to make sure that the documentation or registration is correct. And then you can go out and enjoy your boating and not worry about did you miss something or are you going to end up having to replace fuel tanks and this and that. I mean, no one's perfect. Just, there's no guarantee here in this process. But doing your proper due diligence is going to eliminate a lot of those headaches and let you enjoy the, the Great Loop uh, a lot more than someone that cuts corners just to, to you know, keep the cost down. Very, very well said, Curtis. And just for clarity for those listening, the buyer's broker, uh, the buyer typically doesn't incur costs for hiring that broker, correct? That's usually paid by the seller? Typically. Usually brokers are compensated by the seller and the listing broker and the buyer broker work together and split the commission. Uh, We all sell each other's listings. Uh, We work together, you know, in in helping everybody. But if a buyer is looking at a for sale by owner and the for sale by owner does not offer a commission, sometimes a buyer will have to pay a broker a commission if they want them involved in the transaction. Um, And I have some clients that say, I don't want you collecting your commission from the seller. I want to pay your commission myself. And that's fine also. Again, Uh the whole philosophy here is, do it the way you want to do it, present the way you want it done, and if everybody's in agreement, move forward. If the seller rejects the way you want to do it, then you have to make a decision as a buyer. Do I move forward on this deal because I really want this boat, or do I walk away and keep looking for the right situation and the right boat? It all has to match up for everybody to be happy. Great advice. And for our listeners, if anyone is looking for more information on how to buy a boat for the Great Loop, um, Curtis will be presenting on this topic both at our upcoming fall rendezvous in October, uh, which is currently sold out, but there is a waiting list. Um, but also we'll be presenting this at our upcoming Looper Palooza, which is outside of Charleston, South Carolina, November 13th and 14th. It's at um, Wild Dunes on Isle of Palms. That has not been released to our website yet, but we're getting very close to having the agenda set so that we can do that. So if that's something you're interested in to learn more about this and many other topics, keep that in mind and keep an eye on our website. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people get more information on you and your services? Well, certainly our website, thank you. <laughs> it's curtisdose.net. Um, but seriously, I mean, anyone who uh, has a question is welcome to call us, email us, text us. Text us. Uh, we're happy to help any way we can. We just can't get involved in a transaction where another broker is involved. It wouldn't be fair to them for us to you know, stick our nose in. Um, but where we can, we're happy to help um, answer questions and educate people. And uh, that's why we do the seminars at your events. Uh, you know, so an educated buyer is always a better buyer. Right. That's um, curtisstokes.net. And if you're looking for more information on the Great Loop, you can visit greatloop.org. That is the website for AGLCA. Curtis, once again, thanks for sharing your time and all this information. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Anytime. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>